You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello again, everybody. It is Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining us again on the podcast. Uh, I lost track of what day it was because we've been shooting out of town, crossing the country, and then we came home. We're home for like a day, and they delivered a Z car, and we shot a Z car with an 86, but we're not done because we're shooting again today. I'm a bit confused. What I know is TV is coming, and there are so many episodes in the can, I can't even tell you. Yeah, this is the time of year when it's twice a year when Todd oh. is found dead under mm-hmm. a pile of digital footage, mm-hmm. and we have to kick it all aside to find his body. And there he is. I, I still hope editing. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> you're not, not dead. dead. You're still, He's still editing. editing. Got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, guys, welcome back to the podcast. We're thrilled you're with us, and we've got a great topic Tuesday. Kind of hit me as I saw an article in Wall Street Journal that is on everybody's minds at this point. But before we jump in, DeLorean has revealed their new Alpha 5. Mm-hmm. Alpha 5. Not sure where that moniker comes from. And like um, many news articles are revealing it, you know, your favorite news channels. Yeah. There is still no mention of time travel capability, which is fine. Apparently, only 88 versions are going to be built and scheduled to enter production <laughs> in 2024. Uh-huh. Because, of course. But if you look at the styling, which I actually like, I think it's a great entry. And at first I thought, all right, because it's now a sedan with the gullwing doors for uh-huh. passengers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you want to sell cars. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to invest in this you know, tooling and the platform and design a car, it's very expensive to bring a car to market. Mm-hmm. And so you want to sell cars. I get it. Instead of bringing a two-door electric fun sure. sports car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then when I read only 88 versions are going to be made, that blows up the sales numbers. That yeah. Blows up any chances. That which, makes make it whatever you want at that point. Well, exactly. Well, it increases the cost of this car because Completely. you're not making more yep. copies to amortize yep. all your tooling and investment uh-huh. uh, in the car. But then if you're only building 88, make them hand-built again mm-hmm. and only make it a two-seater to stay within kind of what everybody knows to be a DeLorean because sure. it also yeah. says there's going to be an SUV and you know all the the rest of the DeLorean model lineup because of course there will be mm-hmm. and maybe this comes later but I just thought if to start with to bring it back bring back DeLorean and make it awesome and sure. if you're only yeah. selling 88 to start with Make it a two-seater. Fine. Well, this could be the proof of concept to show that they even can get people to buy their brand. But it, doing the limited thing is probably the reality of making the collector snatch them up no matter what they cost. I suppose but so. I, I don't think this, that is the right way to start a company and say, hey, we're here, is we're going to instantly make a limited edition. And, and, and to what you just said, if we're going to make a limited edition, then let's go extra nuts. Let's not go practical at all. <laughs> right. If it's going to be limited and the people that are going right. to buy them are Saudi guys that are going to put them in their car collection, then what you need to do is that DeLorean name needs to it needs to be a time machine. It needs to be as nuts as yes. possible. Yes. If you're going to make this and actually mass produce it, then I think this design with four seats is fascinating. And it competes with things like the Taycan and the, uh, the Audi e-tron and these kind of things that are sexy looking shapes that happen to be four seaters. That seems like the right way to enter the market. But then why make it limited? 
I agree. I'm, I'm confused. Okay. But the good news is both cars, the original DeLorean and this new Alpha 5, were both designed by Ital Design. So mm-hmm. Giorgetto Giugiaro designed the very first one, very angular, very 80s, 70s look to it. Yeah. Scirocco's and rabbits and that kind of angular look. I think that could have been explored, especially with only 88 cars being built. Capitalize on the Radwood era. Capitalize on that kind of feeling and make all the rest of them look like everything else on the market because this Mm. is nice and it's good, but it doesn't say DeLorean to me anywhere except for going doors. But problem is other concepts have going doors too. Yeah. How is this unique? Nevertheless, that just proves everybody's jumping in with bespoke cars, Mm -hmm. even more than anybody ever has. It just seems like electric vehicles have opened up the door for people to bring old names back, start new companies And I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for them to be bought and seen on roads. We are starting to see hundreds, I feel like, of Rivians around here. I've seen Rivians in colors I didn't know they were offered in in town here in Park City, including the fact that you saw one just recently being – there's a place in every town. Where people park <laughs> yeah. their car with a little, you know, handmade, bought it at the store for sale by owner sign in yeah. in the window and says the stats on the car. And you see typically in your average town, wherever town you live, sometimes questionable cars. We live in Park City, so the cars are not that questionable, but they're still the kind of cars that you would sell parked on the corner of a parking lot at a mall. Yeah. And you just saw a Rivian parked like that. Friday night, driving through Kimball Junction. Yep. And there's a burnt orange Rivian, and I'm thinking, eh, that's a pickup, that's a Rivian, which means you just took delivery, yeah. you've put a few miles on it, you've done the acceleration thing for friends and family, yeah. and you put a handmade for sale sign on it, and there it is. And, I, and you didn't get a chance to look, what? and I wish we knew. I bet you they're charging above market value. I'm sure they are. Which is something you've never seen with a little handmade sign it's on the, the corner of the mall, thing. ever. Yeah. I mean, there were the usual, you know, kind of, of course. beat down mm-hmm. cars used in the five to $10,000 range. That's, that's what yeah. most cars that people just leave yeah, out yeah. there parked, and then a brand new Rivian. <laughs> what? With, with adjusted market markup. <laughs> exactly. Oh my I gosh, guess we're in Park City. Kidding. Your brakes are one of the most important components of your vehicle. When they wear out, don't just replace them, upgrade them. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes and components on every vehicle in every situation from towing to track days. We're talking about bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Now, every PowerStop kit comes with all the parts that you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads and rotors and even clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low noise and low dust. I've got it on my 300ZX, and I can tell how little dust is on those wheels. So the next time you need brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use brake finder. We've found kits for our SUVs, our sports cars, and even our cars of the past. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Our topic Tuesday is about keeping or selling your car. Mm. I came across a recent Wall Street Journal article written by Nora Eckert, published May 23rd, 2022. And the title of the article is The Average Age of Vehicles on U.S. Roadways Hits a Record 12.2 Years Old. Mm. And the expedition is about that right now. It's a 2012, I think. Okay, yeah. Built in 2011, so it's approaching that. Of course, we've got our cars of the past, which are way older than that. Yeah, and I have the Lotus, which is older than that, but at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. but that's because of you know our weird car disease. Well, but also I the other car that I own, our family car, is a Cayenne, which is a 2010. That's true. That is almost exactly to the average. 
at this point. Yeah. Almost. To, so almost the, all yeah. of the cars we own are right in this <laughs> right in that area. In spite of the GR86 that we just bought that right. is quite fresh. Everything else is old. Yes, for sure. Interesting. So the high points are, of course, people are keeping their cars longer. They're delaying purchases. But the percentage of vehicles scrapped or taken out of use in the U.S. last year was one of the lowest of the past two decades. Interesting. Also, last year, light vehicles in the U.S. traveled an average of 12,300 miles, which is up 10% from 2020, according to the S&P Global Mobility Fund. So all of a sudden, we're driving a little more. Interesting. Okay. And then the average revenue per service visit hit a record of $514, according to X-Time, which is a software brand under Cox Automotive that tracks that kind of data, which is 30% higher Hmm. Then are transactions recorded in January 2018 when X-Time started recording that data. But I'm fascinated that not only are we keeping our cars longer, the percentage of vehicles taken out of service or scrapped is far less. Yeah, That's plummeted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're generally driving them longer, which means you didn't choose to buy the car because of cost and availability. And that's what we're up against in this crazy market. And of course, during the pandemic, the trend only accelerated because of the chip shortage that curbed factory output. And according to the article left dealership lots bare, but because cars are getting older, I thought this could resonate with our audience because people are asking not only what car should they get next, but should they get a new car? Sure. I think people are thinking of that. And I thought you and I could discuss a few ways to enjoy your car longer if this is you and you're Mm -hmm. waiting because there's also folks who write to us and say, I'm waiting for 2024, 2026 when the new model comes out Mm -hmm. and we do not recommend waiting for that model because delays, further delays can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also, it doesn't guarantee that you'll like it. We like it now based on the reveal. And then finally the press launch happens. Then it goes into production. Finally, it's available in dealerships Uh a year or year and a half later. Completely. And you might not like it. You might think, oh, all the spec sheets are there. All the stats are there. You guys listening should know. This is is something we can count on. When there is a big reveal, I don't mean press launch. I don't mean in the dealer. When there is a big reveal, GR Corolla would be the latest example. There is a big reveal <laughs> yes. of a car that has just now hit the global internet consciousness as this car is coming. There yeah. is an, I wish yeah. we could track this. I don't really want to, but I know we could. There is an instant uptick in our emails of people that say that is the car they have their sights on. And it's always a year to two years out if it stays on schedule. Mm-hmm. But th- those cars instantly enter our public consciousness, and that's the car that we're considering as the perfect car for me. And all that happened was it was revealed yesterday. Okay, and so that 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 yeah. uptick keeps happening. I mean, we just have the brand new Z car, but when the brand new Z car was a thing, was like six months ago, when it was first revealed, or a year ago, it was first revealed. Oh my gosh, the new Z car, mm-hmm. and now it's a thing, kind of again, but it's less of a thing because the GR Corolla has been announced, which is the new we think it's coming thing. The the other part of this going on here is that this also shows that cars are just lasting longer. Better made. We had a friend yeah. of the show that broke down actually the uh, the consumer reports. They have a, a way that they track number of issues in the first year and that kind of thing. Oh, and yeah. he gave us like back to back spreadsheets ten years apart. Mm-hmm. And what it showed was some of the brands were in the same places they'd always been. Those are brands are at the bottom. These brands are at the top. So the brands hadn't moved in category a lot in, in order a lot. But what was interesting is the entire industry by twenty twenty had far fewer issues than it did in 2010. So even the cars that were the least mm. reliable were more reliable a decade later than they'd been. So the whole industry is becoming more reliable. Then we have 
we were talking about the ease, quote unquote, of all these EV startups because there's less moving parts and, and less going on. There's fewer to maintain as we go more and more electric. True. So this True. is playing into it. So one of the things I think is at play here that doesn't get mentioned because you and I think as car guys <laughs> and all of you listening think as car people as well. Because we have this disease, we want to shop for cars for fun. Mm-hmm. I just I want the new thing, which is why you and I buy stupid stuff every year. But I think the average person that is not a car person only buys a new car when the current one is really officially broken. Yeah. And yeah. so since the cars are becoming more reliable and lasting longer, the the threshold of pain, if you will, for, okay, I really got to scrap that one and I got to get into a car payment again, is getting longer and longer. Though the stat you've got here of the average visit to the dealer is now 500 bucks, you would think at some point, you'd think that's, that's, a, that's a couple months of car payment for something cheap. It's a, couple, a yeah. single month of car payment for something good. So anyway, I... You would think that's going to twist it at some point, but the the chip shortage is a factor here. But I also just think the average person is not going to buy until what I have refuses to work. That's true. Backing up a little bit to the hype train that we have identified, I think there's two hype trains because there's the launch and the initial announcement of the car. Yes, yes. And then things die down because something else comes along. Completely. But then that first car is now available to buy. It's finally in dealerships. It's finally yeah, getting yeah, built. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People have them. You see them around. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is again. Mm-hmm. Now I'm thinking about it. So that's the second yeah, wave, yeah, the fair. second train that comes through. Yeah. But because... I, I think that people are more polarized than ever. Completely, yeah. Because cars last a long time if you take care of them. Mm-hmm. They just do. Yeah. And so there's still going to be the camp of early adopters, people who embrace tech and want to get rid of it, but ultimately get rid of their first, their original car, yeah, and get yeah, the yeah. new thing that's uh-huh. coming. But ultimately, as proven for decades now, cars are a fashion item. Mm-hmm. There's really no reason to get rid of your car. You just get bored with it and the tech moves on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no real reason. If it still runs, you don't have to get a new one. You just want a new one because Mm. you want all the new amenities, all Uh the new tech, all those new things. And then there's the people who are kind of tiptoeing in there. And I think at the age we're in with more electric cars being sold and available, the camps are more polarized than ever mm. we're more divided than ever because there's the early adopters yes bring it all now i've got choice yeah, in yeah. the electric and tech range but then there's other people who are going yeah, i don't know set your brakes we'll see how things work out maybe i'll hold off on that purchase because something changed with their finances a job change you moved yeah yeah but also because i don't know if that tech is really proven or if it's really going to fit my lifestyle and i can't afford to switch back if i take the plunge well that was the funny thing we've heard as gas prices have spiked this summer a bunch of people are considering evs because mm-hmm. they're concerned about the cost and then a few people not a lot but a few people you know walked in you know throwing elbows of logic around which i know is crazy and have, have right. said wait a minute hang on how is it that your paid off car that now is more expensive for gas is a worse financial decision than buying a brand new 50 to 60,000 dollar ev right <laughs> Exactly. You know, this is not a financial podcast, but even I could follow that. I mean, there's all of these questions, but you have to have, I think if you're not a car freak like we are, you don't have the car disease deeply embedded. <laughs> you have to have an outside force that makes you get a new car. Because to what you're saying before, if it's just a tool to get you from A to B, and it can keep limping from A to B, mm-hmm. 
There's no reason to go out and get anything new. But that outside force could be, wow, gas is expensive, or I really should own an EV for whatever reason, or you know what, I now I really do need a pickup, or oh look, True. we have twins coming. I mean, these are the kind of outside <laughs> right. forces that completely right. change your life. Or then, of course, the catastrophic, this car refuses to run anymore. Why am I spending thousands on it? I should get something different. But it has to be an outside force. If we're not shopping for craziness, which you and I are shopping for craziness all the time, it has to be, oh, look, this is broken. Or, oh, look, this must change. No doubt parts wear out on cars. Completely, yeah. They're very heavily used. They go through abuse that your house doesn't. Your house doesn't move. I mean, (laughs) yes, no doubt things happen to cars. But my suggestion here are three things if you decide I'm going to keep my car because it's viable Mm. and mileage always creeps up. It's like, well, I'm over 200,000 miles. I should probably think about a change. You don't have to, Mm. if, if it fits your, if, well, if it doesn't fit your budget to buy new, but you're wondering, should you put the money into it? Like I said, cars that are properly maintained, keep their value and they run a long time, probably longer yeah. than we all think. Uh, I think in general, if we kept putting money into them, they would all run longer. Yes, well, we I dumped money into the 928. It yes, still runs have. good. It's now running even better than ever, yeah. <laughs> I still have a lot to do to it to keep putting yeah, money yeah. into it, but it will still run. And I'm glad it didn't get scrapped because it could yeah. have been right on the yeah. edge. Like, eh. And that's the thing with expensive, high-end luxury cars from decades ago. It takes a lot of money to put that, you know, get them running, keep them yeah, running. Yeah keep them on the road and many people didn't want to do that so those those cars disappear and that is happening less but if you feel like you've got a car that fits and by cars that don't fit i mean you know old honda accords but on the, the other hand i saw a 30 year honda 30 year old honda accord driving around i thought well that looks fine mm-hmm. looks normal it <laughs> looks great shape and there's one there's one yeah so you could start with refurbishment and I don't mean modifications mm. by refurbishment. I mean, fix the things that are broken yeah. and actually spend the money on them. Sometimes it's a two to $3,000 repair bill for the suspension or brakes yeah. or big stuff. But if you fix that and then maybe you redo the interior and the seats, only you can determine what is worth putting money yeah, into. Yeah. But let's say you fix the driver's seat and the bolsters were worn down, you replace the leather and you fix the two front seats and they're brand new. Just the seats alone will make you feel like your car is refreshed. Completely, yeah. New carpets or new mats to cover up stains and then wheels and tires. Ti- let's start with tires. Mm-hmm. Put great tires on your car. It might come to life in a way you hadn't expected. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's very but if you put good wheels on it, and I'm not saying put giant wheels on it, but a different design mm-hmm. that goes with the car mm-hmm. and a different color, you might actually come outside and think, well, I do have a cool car. Yeah, I, I'm starting to like it again. Mm. And the third thing is electronics. We've talked a lot about upgrading your tech, and that just has to do with Bluetooth and nav. Mm-hmm. Most of us have phones that can do just fine. They're mounted on the dash. But if you just upgrade the tech or the stereo in your car, do all three of those things, you might actually spend less and fall back in love with your car and have, you know, you can keep it longer at that point. And that only adds to these stats. Sure. Weirdly, but it will also make it worth more. There's a car, there's a butt for every seat and that car (laughs) will be worth more when it does come time to sell it instead of taking a tax write off, you know, letting the got junk people haul it away for nothing Mm -hmm. and take this out of my life. You could still put more miles on it. Just, 
you have to put the money into it. You can't just ignore the maintenance. And that's why I'm all about the maintenance as you go. Yes. Keep on top of those things instead of, well, I'll let it go. And then finally the wheel bearings are shot. The suspension's gone mm-hmm. and it's going to take eight grand to, you know, put, put the car back on the road or, or get, yeah, get it once you're getting to, I could get a different car for what it's going to cost to fix or refresh this one. You have a really hard decision to make, but this is where we've been with the Cayenne for the last couple of years. Cause for the last two and a half, three years, the car has been paid off. So that's been a nice mm-hmm. uh, hole in the budget. We don't have, yeah. you know, it's like that, that line item went away. Hey, that's exciting. Yeah. So, but the flip side is, and you've watched our videos. I just had the, the seventh video. I've done one about, about one a year on that car. We've had it seven years. You've watched the video, the latest one, where I got to 150,000 miles and I broke down all the costs for us to get from 64,000 miles to 150,000 miles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the costs have been high in maintaining that car, but most of them have been in the last two years as the thing's gotten well above 120,000 miles and stuff just wears out and breaks. And because it's Porsche... All the stuff cost about 20, 25% more just to get it, just to have the part in front of me, let alone putting it on. So that is the big debate we're having because on one level, we did the tech thing. We have Apple CarPlay in there. It definitely refreshed yeah. it. My yeah. wife's been really, really good at maintaining the seats. So the seats have actually stayed in really good shape. Yeah. And so the car actually looks and feels pretty good to drive in spite of the mileage. But we are reaching that tipping point where it's like, okay, when stuff happens now, it's starting to be $500. I would celebrate. It's not $500. It always has a comma in it because something <laughs> breaks on an old Porsche. But this right. is the debate. Right. I mean, what we're talking about is the opposite of the hype train. The newest, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I got to yeah. get the newest, latest, whatever. And that's what the internet would would tell you. We're all about the new stuff too. I'm all about the future. I'm all about the new tech. Bring the new designs. Absolutely. But we celebrate the old stuff too. And I bet you, I want to encourage everybody. I bet most people's cars, if you can't afford to get the next thing or yeah, you're just yeah. still saving, you're one to two years out, that's totally fine. But put the money into it and I guarantee you you won't regret it if you put that money into to at least get a baseline of you like your car again instead of it's a pain and i hate being in this car and i don't like being here i would rather that happen and you still enjoy your car and have it longer Mm. and again you can still get some money back out of it i bet you most cars fit this category not every car is worth dumping the money into but most cars to keep them going which only means we're going to need more mechanics to keep even older cars on the road in the future, which means old cars are not going away. Well, if I agree with that, if we hit any of these mandates and they're legit, the 2030 or the 2035 mandates where we're no longer selling anything but electric cars, I think this number of old cars on the road, I think that that number of years is going to go higher. I agree. People are going to hang on to their gasoline cars for even longer because they can't, for whatever reason, make the EV switch. That could be infrastructure. That could be where they live in the country. That could be the amount of mileage they have or the sheer cost of a new electric car. It's not like a lot of people are showing up with a new electric car going, okay, this one's 14 grand. Right, you know, because that right. that I mean, thirty thirty to forty. I think it, I think it's almost forty thousand dollars, and I think forty forty two is the average vehicle cost now. It's insane. If you're Jeez. a family and you're dealing with a budget, you guys write us all the time. Our, my budget is less than twenty five thousand dollars. Is the vast majority of people that write to us. Mm-hmm. We get mm-hmm. this. We get the fifties. We get the seventies. We get the I have crazy budget. That happens. But if I had to guess, our average is below thirty grand, and most time it's below twenty five. Nobody's selling you an electric car for that. So if we do get to this is all we're selling, you're hanging on to your old one. Agreed. And if you can afford the monthly car payment, you can switch out. But cars are just getting more expensive. And the tech 
will change even more quickly for yes. the future EVs. The electric cars, yes. You'll get a car that you think is good. I've got the new electric and something will come out that has even better range uh-huh. and a cooler feature and you have to pay to get that one. Why not stay where you are? I'm making the argument for both and many of you want and need, but ultimately what we're talking about is the whole reason this debate exists and the reason we want new cars is because of emotion. Mm-hmm. We want something new and we want a new experience. And if that's the case, that's entirely valid. Mm-hmm. But many people, there's that that just might apply to the fun car category only. Many people still keep their whatever it is in reserve. Mm-hmm. I got to keep this car because it's paid off. It's got to keep running. Holds the boat, whatever, yeah. But then the I can allocate 10, 12, 15, 20 grand to the yeah. fun thing. Yeah. That's okay too. The number, the number yeah. of times you and I are able to talk on this on both sides because we celebrate and do buy <laughs> new stuff. Yes. But at the same time, we also drive a lot of old stuff. I see the logic. And, and the problem is, of course, you and I are deeply, deeply car diseased. Yes. So it makes us the, the weird random outlier. I want to remind you guys of DriveShare from our friends at Haggerty. DriveShare is a car-sharing community that connects renters with the owners of cool cars. We're talking vehicles that elevate any occasion like a wedding or a special celebration or even a vacation. Or you can just enjoy a dream ride, a car you've always wanted to drive. That's why I put my Lotus Elise on DriveShare, and many people have loved driving it. List your car to earn some extra money knowing you're covered by exceptional insurance and roadside service. Owners and renters can both rest easy and enjoy the ride. Visit driveshare.com or download the app to rent or list a ride today. Andrew is in Pennsylvania writing to us to compliment a Miata. Okay. I don't think we've ever chosen a car to compliment a Miata. We're always looking for fun cars. We're winding up at Miata a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we've got the, the fleet sorted and now you can go out to the fun car. Mm-hmm. Andrew's got the fun car. Yeah. He wants a comfortable cruiser for less than $10,000 to compliment his NA. Hmm. Okay. He's 32 years, 32 years old. He's a dad of four young kids under six. Wow. Lives in coal Busy country, man. Pennsylvania. He's had the car bug since high school when he was desperate for a 90s Camaro or a Miata. And his family was not the type to work on cars. They were not garage mechanics among many uncles when he was a kid. But his grandfather worked for GM in Mansfield, Ohio for 40 years. Mm. And cars were discussed. Chevys, Buicks, Saturns, Pontiacs. <laughs> GMs were discussed. Saturns. Yeah. Yeah. Cadillacs were considered rich people's cars, other domestics were considered treasonous, and foreign cars were strictly forbidden from Grandpa's driveway. So you're welcome to be here and talk cars as long as General Motors made it. That's really where we are, yeah. So fast forward many years, and with a young family of his own, Andrew figures a fun car was not in the picture until he stumbled across an N.A. Miata down the road from his house. Mm. It was destiny, he said. He failed to talk his MOF, who drives a 2017 Honda Odyssey, about the importance of the purchase. But Andrew's boss, also a car guy, see his black Renegade era 911 Cabriolet, <laughs> love it, snuck him a bonus to pay for it. So wait a minute. I, I, hmm. Andrew, I don't know what you do, but that's a heck of a boss. Yeah. Because clearly you know your boss is a car guy, and you've said that. But when your wife said you're not buying it in a Miata, you just talk to your car friend, who happens to also be your boss. Unreal. And your boss goes... Go buy the car and gives you the bonus to cover it. <laughs> Did an end run around the MOF. Totally. And then and I, what's not mentioned here is what was that conversation with your wife like? Yeah. Because you weren't complaining about the cost of your four kids to your boss. And he said, let me give you a raise, which your wife probably would have applauded. You complained about right. the fact you couldn't get a fun car to your boss. And your boss, and let me be honest, he sounds like a great guy and I'm applauding him. Your boss goes, go get a fun car. It gives you a bonus for that. 
that just I, doesn't happen. There's there's a whole minister of finance conversation behind this little paragraph that must have happened. I am congratulating you on two things. One, you have an NME out of that's great. And two, maybe more importantly, the fact that you and your minister of finance are worried about your budget to get those kids through life. But I like that True. both are happening. You have the Miata now, thanks to your cool boss. See, she was probably okay with it because no family money, none of their money was spent on it. True. So she's probably okay with you having that car. But there wasn't a raise for the, to cover the four kids. But then the raise for the family <laughs> is, didn't happen. Unless that raise happened as well, and then your boss is like the world's greatest boss. Possibly. Yeah, I'm not sure what you do, but hang wow. on to that, apparently. Well, so Andrew has one. He says, prior to the Miata, his only car was a 2004 Acura TSX automatic with 175,000 miles, he bought for $4,000 when the Ford Fusion rusted out and failed ex- inspection unexpectedly. <laughs> Talking about reasons you have to trade your car, that's a really good one. Sorry, yes. sir, your cheap Fusion rusted out and currently failed inspection. I'm going to go buy something else. See, like I said, not every car qualifies uh-huh. for the keep it forever. Yes. And to get that Fusion back running again, you could have dumped money into it. Four grand, and then mm-hmm. it would run, but then you'd have a fusion. I get it. <laughs> like you said, we can talk both sides. Yes, for sure. Now, Andrew says, well, initially, the most fun and the most luxurious car he's ever owned, the TXS, TSX, sub- subsequently shredded its air conditioning clutch mm. and is now rather less luxurious without climate control. And compared to the Miata, the fun factor took a dive. Mm. Yeah, sure. He'd like to sell it and pick up something with a luxurious, quiet ride that complements the Miata. You want the opposite of a Miata. Yes, he wants the bookend. Yeah. This new car would need to fit two car seats, including the space-eating rear-facing car seat for That is hard. Those are big. Mm -hmm. Driving would be up and down the Appalachians, winding state routes, and occasional highway bombs back to Ohio. And the price would be low at $10,000 or less. Okay. Now, as we've identified, the MOF has come to terms with one minivan, two cars. So this, this is a system here. <laughs> we he have the Miata. We have the van. There is one car slot available. Yes. Can't push his luck. Mm-hmm. Of course, spending less would be better, so he can keep putting money into the driver's focused mods for the Miata. There they are. There it is. Yep. Which he dailies in the summer. He's a wagon lover and can only lament there are no used wagons with a decent reliability reputation. Mm. Hmm. He says the Germans and even Volvo V70s are desirable, but too much in the maintenance risk category. He watched videos about the Buick Park Avenue Ultra. He's been seriously considering picking up an old Buick sedan that would make grandfather proud. (laughs) Yeah, it would. And Andrew asks if we think there's anything to the cult following for these cars. I didn't know there was a cult following for Buick Park Avenue Ultras. I was not aware of this cult following. Well, apparently we missed it, but okay, that exists. Andrew also owned a 90s Grand Marquis during college and quite enjoyed it, especially the bench seats, so he doesn't mind the old man car vibes. Okay. He doesn't think he's an SUV person, but we could possibly talk him into one. But he also leaves us with this. Are there any older Lexuses, Lexi, or Acuras he should be considering or something else? Or is he overlooking the wagon of his dreams? Wow, I, I'm surprised you're not suggesting any GM whatever to you know keep in line with the family. Has mm-hmm. your family disowned you just because of that Acura? <laughs> I'm asking. This is really good stuff, Andrew. I've got a couple of, uh, I've got a few recommendations, and then I get into wildcard things that I really like more. Okay, okay. You had that Acura TSX and liked it. You should look at the early mid 2000s Acura TLs. Okay, those yeah. were really good. Yeah. The 
two, I think it's 03 or 04, 03 or 04 to 08 is the generation we love. Yeah, good looking And those styling. are surprisingly sporty front-wheel drive cars. Of course, the tech is old. I know they come with a tape deck, which is pretty awesome. But, but they drive really well, and they're a Honda underneath, and those are surprisingly affordable. The ones that are affordable probably have 200,000 miles on them because, again, it's a Honda. So those are really good. The next gen of the TL, while it was still the TL, gained the beak. And some of those are very cheap because they have the big chrome beak on them. Because of the beak. But be careful about whether or not you like that and whether or not you can find one. While we're in the same category, Lexus GS is interesting here. Oh. Big, kind of not, not a huge second market for those. You could even maybe go early LS. You know those would run. But a GS mm. or LS, big Lexus sedan. It's going to run. It's, it's very comfortable. It. It's everything you need it to be. It's not an enthusiast car, but that's not what you need. You need huh. big and runs. That which Lexus, is Lexus GS from like GS. the late 90s, you're talking? Like no, 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 I'm talking, no, I'm talking you can get into the early 2000s. You could get one for that. So, so chase a GS, maybe even an LS. Yeah, maybe in the 90s you have to go back that far for the LS, but I think those are worthwhile. And then I thought of the alt to okay. these that I've mentioned, Infinity. The G37s were great cars. Yeah, that's true. That's the true. The G37s have the the three the 350Z engine in them. It's a good engine. It's a dated interior, but the dynamics are solid. Now, the G37 sedan became the Q50. Most of the Q50s I found are probably too new and above your budget. They're running like 12, 14 for the early Q50s. But the late G37s, the 2010 to 2013 range cars, are in your budget. And they're surprisingly dynamic hmm. dad cars that are down there. My last one in this group is the Honda Accord Manual. Okay. That could okay. be some fun, and you know it would be space. These are the realistic ones. I have a list of non-realistic <laughs> ones that would be scarier, but I like them as well. I'll come back to that. I'm all over the map, Andrew. This was great because it, it got me thinking differently. And I thought there's a fine line between the old plushy Detroit stuff versus a classic that will be better, mm. but it will require more of you and possibly more of that Miata budget. Mm, yeah, fair. I'm walking a fine line here. I want you to ultimately end up with something that will hopefully appreciate or even just stay level. Yeah. But it's cool because it's kind of a cool classic. It's not just, I mean, no disrespect to Buick Park Avenue Ultra owners, but that isn't the pinnacle of driving enthusiasm. <laughs> Now, our friend Nick Grio at Grio's Garage has, I think, the mid-'80s Ford LTD Crown Vic Country Squire. If I'm I not mistaken. Right. Was yeah. it Country Squire? Uh, it's, the, it's, it's as, it's like, as wood-paneled and Clark Griswold as you can find to the point that his huge. license plate is Griswold. It's awesome. And he told us his wife loves driving it mm -hmm. because he's got two kids, mm -hmm. and the kids fit in it just fine. She can fit it's all enormous. the stuff. yes. The back end on the thing, I forgot how big they were. Huge. It's almost like a small hot tub size. <laughs> you're right. It's you huge. crack that hatch, the door folds to the side, you crack that hatch, you're like, wow, there's a lot of space you in there. You put stuff back now, there. Now, Nick has, has refurbished the entire suspension. He's put on modern wheels. Yeah. He has made this thing really cool, but the platform itself is massive. You could embrace the Griswold thing. Mm -hmm. That was my initial thought. And then I went off into the weeds. I got... A little random, but just stay with me. I first thought of the Hyundai, Hyundai Equus or the Hyundai Genesis sedans. Sure. The those early are still, ones. I think, too expensive. They're not quite 10 grand. Mm. But those would just run. 
It would just be normal looking sedan. It'd be luxurious. It would have actually some modern stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm talking 2012, somewhere in there. Again, proving the point. Those cars are still around. You can mm-hmm. still find them. Yeah. If you shop for the Genesis sedan, you have to shop under Hyundai. You can't shop Genesis. So the it's the Hyundai Genesis sedan. You remember when they did the sedan and the coupe and they yep. didn't have the Genesis thing figured out yet. But then I went over to Gateway Classic Cars, which Uh-oh. has lots of ideas. Gatewayclassiccars.com. And I got lost in Mercedes land. Oh, no. Did you? Because all these old Mercedes, the big ones, the S-classes mm-hmm. from the 80s and 90s, they have high miles and they run. And when the Mercedes are sorted, they are tanks and they will run. Now, yes. depends on the car. Things need to happen. Money needs to be put into it to get them sorted. Money will occur, yes. But I kept seeing like this 83 Mercedes-Benz 300 SD for 14.5. It's like a cool classic Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Same year as the 928, by the way. Oh, yeah. But... I think those things would just run. I know grandfather would not approve because it's Mercedes. It's very foreign, (laughs) but the Mercedes from the eighties and nineties were built so well. I think it's a compelling, at least worth a look. If not the compelling choice, they were built so well, things just still work. Mm -hmm. And if you put the maintenance in and put the miles, I found the, I think it was a 91, the big S class, the one everybody wanted in that teal, the nineties teal. Oh yeah, the nine, the nineties color. Yeah, it had like two hundred and thirty five thousand miles on it. It looked used, but it looked great, and it's probably going to run to five hundred thousand miles. And therefore, it's not the Lexus, it's not the Hyundai, mm-hmm. it's something cool. Oh, you're rocking a classic Mercedes. Look at you. <laughs> yeah, you are. Now I cannot tell you what the general maintenance will be. Because it will vary from car to car, and it will depend on the ownership. But cars, especially the BMWs and the Mercedes from that era that have a lot of miles on them, have been maintained. They've had those dollars Mm. poured into them to keep them running, and they're worth owning at this point. Mm. I also got lost over in 95 Cadillac Seville's. Might not be the best option. But then I thought of that Lexus IS300, that wagon thing, smaller. Oh, yeah. Kind of cool. The first heart, gen heart. where they made the wagons, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was thinking the just... back seats are big enough for his rear-facing child seat, but the car is really cool. <laughs> you can park the car in the boot of the country squad. like the sport back or something. It's the sport like, back, yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. And those, I think, are still around ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. The problem is they're harder to find, yeah, yeah. but I think that could be a great compromise in that area. It's a Lexus. It's a Toyota. It's just going to run. Minimal dollars spent, minimal maintenance dollars. I think that could be a nice sweet spot. But I could see a rock in the Griswold thing. Like, how cool would I that see be? That. Just I see that. Giant V8. It just runs. I had fun with wild cards on this, too. Did man. you? Oh, big time. You can visit the Germans. Paul's already been there. But I thought about an Audi S6. Look at an older S6. Not the V10. No, gosh, no. You, okay. you couldn't pull that off. But, you know, what, <laughs> I mean, what, interesting for what, about what Audi, 50 miles. What Audi 6... Uh, <laughs> Six version can you get? Is it the A6? Is the S6? What can you get there? And a BMW yeah. 5 Series. Yeah. That's yeah. been the, the car for what you need forever. But, of course, it's a BMW. What's the maintenance going to be like? This is scary. Which leads yeah. me to my favorite wild card, which comes directly from something you said, Andrew. It's I'm going to recommend the perfect car to you that is <laughs> not even your whole budget, which you'll love. It's not a fake, is it? Every, no, it checks every okay. single box you want. And has history, but it is not a performance car in the least. No no okay. part of it is a performance car. Okay. But you need a early, mid-2000s Cadillac DeVille. Front-wheel drive, <laughs> V8. Yeah. Huge, fluffy, leather seats, 
They are out there. They this are is not a performance Cadillac. I just, I had a minute ago, I had pages of them in front of me. I come to this because I know you can get them for your budget. I know that these are cars that have not been driven hard, but have a great V8 in them. You have some luxury. And the comment that you said in your family where you said Cadillacs were considered rich people cars. That's good. That taps I just into that. bought one for seven grand <laughs> and it's my perfect commuting cruiser. We know a guy here locally that works at our local racetrack and for a while he had, yeah. he bought the nicest, hottest performance pack GTI he could find and he loved that car. And then he decided he didn't want to commute in it. Because he was commuting down I-80 through the desert to the true, local racetrack. True. And so he literally found an early 2000s Cadillac from some, I, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but truly found one from a grandmother and bought it for a few thousand. And he was in love with it as a commute car because he never that got is, pulled over by the cops. That's perfect. who's pulling over the old grandmother in the going fast Cadillac? Nobody. But he just hung out. In his lounge chair. This is a guy that racetrack drives. I mean, he, he loves the race. He works at the racetrack. But he would just cruise to the track. <laughs> That's great. It was his favorite thing. So it makes me think, yeah. Cadillacs were rich people cars. Not anymore, they aren't. Get yourself a six or $7,000, certainly less than ten North Star V8 front-wheel drive Cadillac and just drive it. The air conditioner on those things are probably going to be ice cold, too. Oh, yeah. You can hag a side of beef yes. in the car. Yes, you might need a new can of R34, but after that, it will be the best air conditioner ever. You, you don't, the one in your TSX is broken. This one will probably chill that car and the TSX. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, Andrew, you've got options. There's many places for shopping. And we're not talking performance car, but if you get something that just is going to run mm-hmm. and it looks good... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's kind of cool because you got the Miata. Mike Smith says he's glad we're doing a review on the new Z. He'd like to see it compared with the Supra. <clears throat> Mike, you're not alone. We'd like to see it compared to the Supra as <laughs> we well. Too. The, the big thing is we are already trying to get that done, but we, we find it paramount to put the new Z with a manual Supra. Otherwise, I think we instantly kind of hobble the Supra in the conversation. So we are waiting on that. We were hoping that manual Supras would be available for us to fit it into Season 11, be shooting it right now. They're just not available that quickly. So once we have a manual Supra, we intend to put it with the Z car. Both Nissan and Toyota know this is in the works. We're working on it. We hear you. Instagram has a question from DRMiller45 asking me a design question about wheel design. And how do I interpret wheel design when it comes to spokes versus the negative space around the spokes? I really appreciate you noticing negative space. I've mentioned this before, but I will remind the audience of the FedEx logo. And if you have not seen the arrow in between the E and the X, it's one of the better design logos on the planet. That's why FedEx hasn't changed it mm-hmm. because it's so mm-hmm. good and it uses that negative space. Now, DR Miller, DR Miller says, for example, the Z pictured... Do you interpret the wheels as star-shaped split spokes or Y-shaped spokes? Ultimately, I look at it as more the design of the spoke itself because no longer are designers just having basic spokes in a shape. If it's a clean design, then I would lean towards the second one, a Y-shaped spoke. But as you said, the star-shaped split spoke, it's because the spoke itself has so many interesting surfaces on it mm-hmm. to catch light. Mm-hmm. The only purpose is to catch light when it's moving. If it's just a basic wheel, fine. You see the spoke itself. But when you see all the intricate surfaces, and there's sometimes patterns on there, but many times it's a very directional sculptured shape designed to catch light, but then it 
changes your perception about the wheel. I love that you're looking at this. Ultimately, the wheels on the Z, I wish they weren't black mm-hmm. because it would not only set the car off better, but you could see what's so important mm. where the car touches the ground. I, I'm not a fan of black wheels. And I say this loving 3.2 Carreras with that black center. I still don't like those. I'd rather it be either body color or bronze mm. or silver or something. I think it sets the car off better. Interesting. Austin is continuing the discussions about the Z. He said, wait a minute. Why are we doing a comparison between the Z and the GR86? He feels like they're different classes. A couple of things going on here, Austin. First off, this is one of our favorite conversations we get into. Mm-hmm. And I mean across the board. I'm talking SUVs. I'm talking family sedans. Specs are great. And specs are funny because when specs on a car come out, the manufacturer tells you who they think the car competes against. And sometimes... The manufacturer is setting it up in a class where we're going, that doesn't seem to compete there at all, which makes us laugh. But also, we're always thrilled when we find a car that on paper seems lesser to the stuff above it that we would buy instead. And that's the question that we've had on the GR86 because when when we bought our GR86, there were a lot of comments and a lot of questions that said, shouldn't you guys have waited for the Nissan Z? Mm -hmm. Also coming out the same year in similar proximity with more power and a six-speed. Yes, more expensive, But when you're talking, I'm going to buy a rear-wheel drive fun car. Price is not the only consideration. If you have a hundred grand to spend, we don't think you should only shop at a hundred grand. Let's look at the ones that are twenty-five and thirty, and the ones that are a hundred grand. Let's find the most fun. If you're buying a fun car, so there were a lot of requests for this comparison, and we were curious about it because we were throwing the show's money down on a GR86 knowing the Z was coming, Mm. and we just went, "We're still going here. Did we pick right?" That's why the comparison's happening. Revs Up has a question about how we plan to balance things to prevent <laughs> the TV show from becoming the GR86 channel. Don't worry, we've been accused of this a lot. He's getting a GR86 and loving the GR86 content, but how do we guard from the internet from thinking we're just the GR86 guys? Or do we plan to keep the vast majority of that 86 content to YouTube? A, a bit of both. It, the majority is for YouTube, but we said publicly we want to cover it for mm-hmm. at least a year yeah. and drive it against everything for the reasons Todd just said. Yeah, yeah. Because we're in this golden age, the car has been offered. It's second generation. It's gotten better. We really like it. And it's a good price point. Yeah. It still is something that people are talking about. So that covers the here and the now. It's a bit hype trainish, but we're able to do it and we can cover it now against a lot of other cars. We're in this golden era of actual manual transmission sports cars. It's also going to be everything you're saying is right on. It's also going to be our reference point for a while. Agreed. If yep. this is this price and we like it like this, where does where do the other cars relate to it? And you're right. It is something where we actually did have conversations behind the scenes about we can, we have to limit the number of TV-related episodes mm-hmm. that the GR86 comes into. It's only going to be in one this season because of this Z comparison. We put the Z in its place. But beyond that, yeah, there's a ton of stuff coming, and it's all for YouTube. I mean, ultimately, we could keep going past the one year once we sure, get yeah. all the episodes shot and the comparisons done. But think about it. That is now going to be a moment in time where we've covered this mm-hmm. car against many mm-hmm. and what people are shopping. We've covered that, and then we'll move on to whatever's next. We could have been accused of being the Phaeton and Quattroporte channel for a little sure. while. Yeah, or yeah. the Z4 and the SLK channel mm-hmm. for a little while. It just happens to be this is the series for a little while. Yeah. We'll move on. We'll get everything done. But then that is still the shopping benchmark. It doesn't age, and it doesn't 
become old news once we've moved on from the 86 because that's still a good reference point. Yeah, yeah. They'll be in dealerships. People will be selling them used. People mm-hmm. are going to discover them. Here's the reference content from that era of when we had the car. I was surprised when I had a first gen and I bought it two or three years into the life cycle of that car, how much those videos got watched because the car was still very relevant. They're we still getting for a long time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mock plane says, has the 928 and the 300 ZX come back home yet? Or are they still on the East coast? We parked them on the East coast in our dear friend Shane's garage so that he could put them on a transport and they could come back here. Cause we had to, it took us a week to get out. We had to fly back. There's been much editing done since we got back. We couldn't take the time to drive them back. They actually just arrived back in park city. We're very excited. Yeah. Now we yeah. both realize how much they really need love. They both really are going to need some serious cleaning because we kind of got them cleaned for the meetup <laughs> yeah. and now they're home and we're going, wow, we need the griot stuff in a full day. Because those cars, those cars got worked on that trip. There were some older cars parked above these. Oh yeah, and there's some oil drips on the hood and some dirt on there. And yep. they definitely need a cleaning. A couple of questions here. First from Glenn DeJacomo. Glenn, really great to meet you at the meetup. Yeah. We really appreciated everybody who came out to Pennsylvania. So cool and met us. He's got a track daily crush for us. Our mm. '86, my '928, okay. and your Z car. Oh well, <laughs> I really do like the GR86, and I know I'm going to love it on track. What I We've experienced the launch, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was really good on track. But your Z is so sorted. I think I'm crushing the 928 as much as I love it. Really? I think I'll track the GR86. I'll daily your Z because it's just going to be reliable and work. Whereas the 928 mm. is, you know, I got to breathe deeply and you know get my courage up. And <laughs> I'm going to take the 928 now. It's a big deal. Here we go. There's just this event leading up to driving that car. It's fun. I love it. But your your Z car is just so easy to drive. It's very it, fun. It doesn't feel 30 years old. It doesn't. Which it is just really drives so modern. Yeah. It's great. So yeah, I'm going to leave that alone. It. I'm not going to answer that I hate to say it. Ivan Marr also asks, whatever happened to those flying car companies like Terrafugia? Terrafugia? It doesn't matter. It They're really gone. doesn't. There will be three more that will go and come in the next year. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast in 2023, there's probably been at least three flying car companies that have exactly. appeared and vanished since then. Well, you know what? I was browsing Wall Street Journal. I think I saw it in there as well, Iva. And that was car companies are now, if they're that startup, not a company, they're just the startup. They're looking for places to land the cars. That's the problem. Yes. Because they're not just constantly <laughs> grounded. They're it takes some launch distance, some runway to mm-hmm. get them in the air and then also land them back safely. That's also the problem. That's the reason airports were invented yeah. with airstrips. Yes. And that's the reason that I say, don't make your object do too many things. The car isn't just the car. Mm-hmm. The truck is just a truck. It doesn't need to be a drag racer. It doesn't need to go off road and then it can do rock crawling and then it can out accelerate everything. It doesn't need to. It can just be the truck. If you think the EV infrastructure is problematic, think about the flying car infrastructure that we don't have. Because not every building in a downtown area has a helicopter pad. Have you ever thought oh. about that? Because we, we always that's the conversation that comes up. Anytime you see one of these promotional videos for a flying car, somebody lands one on the top of a building in a downtown area. But if you look at most downtown areas, there's two or three, maybe there's like 50, 60 buildings. It's like two or three heliports. So now we have, we're all commuting in flying cars. Where are we putting them? Well, especially for the top of a building. It's not like an airport that has a ramp where you park airplanes. Exactly. It's not, it's not an it's aircraft just, carrier. It just fits one. The helipad. So that means it has to drop off passengers and then go away and then be parked somewhere else uh-huh. like an airport. That's weird, huh? 
airports. We still have more questions to get to, but we've got to cut the podcast off right now because there's so much shooting to do. Yes, we're actually leaving to shoot more right now, yes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. For all your questions, please continue to write to us on Mondays and Thursdays when we ask for social media questions, and then send us your Topic Tuesdays, car conclusions, and most of all, your car debates to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. We're always looking forward to hearing from you. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>